Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Aren't you glad that God's Word changes lives? Praise God for what He does. Shows us how to be saved. Shows us that it's sal- salvation is only through Jesus Christ, not anything that we can do. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. If it was anything up to us, we would never be saved. We could never earn it. But not only does God's Word show us how to be saved, but the Word of God also shows us what He desires for those who know Him as their Savior. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, we do ask that you would just bless, Lord, in the message now, use it to speak to hearts. And Lord, we do thank you that it is through your word that we can learn of you. It's through your word that we can know of salvation. But uh, Lord, also what you desire for each of our lives and how we can draw closer to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just bless this morning. Lord, allow our hearts to be yielded to what you'd have for us, and uh, just help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, as Paul has been writing here, we've been looking at the spiritual matter of the believer. In the first three chapters, Paul deals with the spiritual matter, making sure that our heart is, is right so that we can be and do what God wants us to be and do. Um, and we saw Paul different times, both in chapter 1 and chapter 3. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that, that God will open your eyes, your, the spiritual understanding of your eyes, so that you can see the way God wants you to see, so that we can be what God wants us to be. That through all we are, so that um, we can be and do what God wants us to be and do. Um, and then through that, God receives the glory for it all. So the question we have to ask ourselves then is, what does God want us to be? What does he want us to do? So Paul's been preparing us in the first three chapters for this very question, what does God expect of me? What does God expect from my life? If I'm going to be what he wants me to be, what does God want for me? And again, the first three chapters have really been dealing with our heart, making sure that our heart is prepared for this, because If our heart is not right, then when we look at these practical things that he's going to show us in these next three chapters, guess what will happen? Nothing. Nothing. If if our heart is not prepared right, if, if we're not saying, Lord, I need to see the way you want me to see, and Lord, I need my heart to be changed, then when we see what God wants us to do, then something will happen. Because now we're going to see what exactly it is that God wants for us, and we'll be able to follow. We'll be able to be obedient to it. And that's why I believe Paul spends the first three chapters just dealing with the spiritual matter of the heart. Because I'm afraid so many times as as Christians and in our churches, it's all just about the outward actions. It's all just a show. There's, There's no spiritualness there. It's not about our hearts. 
And what happens is when it's not about our heart and it's just a show, basically the Bible says that's hypocrisy. And what we find is when it's not about our heart, when it's just about our actions, guess what we end up doing? We don't do anything. We do nothing for God. In fact, many times we even just quit. We just totally get away from God. And so Paul deals with the heart first, because if God can have your heart, if He can work in your heart the way that He wants to, then when we get to the practical aspect, it's not going to be difficult. We'll be willing to do what He wants us to do. So what is that? What does He share with us as we begin here? So He's been preparing us for the practical that He's going to be dealing with in these next three chapters. And even here, kind of as He begins... He, he uses a word here that we're going to see often throughout these next three chapters. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So notice Paul is now going to begin dealing with our walk, right? He's been dealing with our heart. Now he's starting to deal with our walk, our life, how he wants us to live. I remember when I was a kid, I learned this little saying. I don't know, I don't know who said it. I don't know where it came from. And so if, if it's yours, I'm sorry, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the royalties, all that I've made off of it in the, you know, all the years that I've said it. <laughs> he said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Some of you are like, what? I'm going to say it again, right? Your talk talks, but your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. What's he saying? It's easy to say something with our mouth, but are we going to put it into practice? It's easy to say it with our mouth. It's easy to say I'm a Christian with my mouth, but does my life back it up? It's easy to say I love God. It's easy to say, hey, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. But then the question is, does my life back that up? Does my walk show that? And we're going to find that word walk is used consistently throughout these next three chapters because this is what Paul now begins to deal with is our walk. He's been dealing with our heart. Now he says, I'm going to deal with the walk. And notice what he says here. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So notice the first thing he says about our walk, because really this right here is just setting the stage for all that he's going to be talking about our walk in these next few chapters. And this is what he says. First of all, he says, walk worthy. Walk worthy. The word worthy means deserving of. And that, that could be a little confusing. Walk worthy. Because we know that not one of us is deserving of salvation. Not one of us deserves God's love. Not one of us. And yet God, in His love, sent His Son to die for our sins so that we could be saved. Not in anything that we can do, but in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so when we think of that, this, He did not force us to accept salvation. He did not force us to accept the gift that his son offers. 
He simply offers it, and we have to choose whether we will make the choice to accept it or reject it. So Paul, writing to those who have made the choice to accept it. Again, remember, please understand, not one of us is deserving of salvation. But he says, if you have chosen to accept salvation, and he's writing to believers, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to believers there. He says, you have chosen to accept salvation, so I'm writing to you. And and we today, if you have chosen to accept salvation, he says, I'm writing to you. And here's what he says, walk worthy. Walk worthy. Walk deserving. Paul says we are to, we've made this choice to receive him. Now we are to walk worthy. Well, why? Well, one, for God. We should walk worthy for our God. When we think about what he did for us to be saved, we should walk worthy. We should walk deserving of it. No, we don't deserve it, but we should walk in a way that brings honor and glory to him for what he has done for us. The word vocation here is really interesting. He says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The word vocation is also translated as calling, right? He says, so walk worthy of the calling that you're called to. You say, well, my vocation is a school teacher, or my vocation is a bus driver, or my vocation is a factory worker, or my vocation is a, a salesman, or my vocation is a, is a housewife, or whatever that might be. That's, that's my vocation, Well, that might be your physical vocation that gives you a paycheck, but that is not the vocation that Paul is talking about here. It's not the vocation that he's saying, hey, walk worthy of the job that you have. No, no, no. Your vocation is that you are part of the body of Christ. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he placed you into the body of Christ. He says, Again, we don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be placed into his body, but what a privilege it is. And because of that privilege to be saved, because of the privilege to be part of his body, we ought to walk worthy of that vocation. We ought to walk worthy of that calling because it is only because of what he has done that we are able to be saved. This is your calling. This is your vocation. Through faith in Jesus Christ, now we are called to him to be obedient to what he would have for us. And this is what should be the focus of our lives. Not the physical job that we work, but what does God have for me? Yes, thank God you have a job. Thank God you're able to pay your bills. But friend, if you think that's your vocation in life, that's your calling in life as a Christian, you, you, you're, misunderstood, you're misunderstood. You're misunderstood. Um, you're, you don't understand it right. You're mistaken. That's the word I was looking for before. That's not your vocation. Because when you accepted Christ as your, as your Savior, your life changed. Before that was your calling, before that was your life, it was all about your job, it was all about the money, all about the finances, all about your family. But now that we are in Christ, now that we're part of his body through faith, now that is our job. This is our vocation. This is why we are to walk worthy. Can I get you this morning just to think? Think of what you owe the Lord. 
If you're saved this morning, think of what you owe him. You think about all of the sin that you committed that because of that sin you deserve to die and go to hell. And yet, because of his love for you, he was willing to die on the cross for your sins and forgive you of that sin. You think of the blessings that that God has blessed you in your life. All the things that God has done. Think of what we owe the Lord. We can't even begin to, to even think about paying back what we owe to him. And by the way, if you ever notice, God doesn't say, you owe me. God doesn't say that. God says, I did it for you. I did it for you. You don't, you don't owe me anything. You don't have to pay me back anything. There's nothing we could pay him anyway. We don't owe him anything, but he does say, because of what I've done for you, I would like for you to walk in a certain way. I would like for you to live your life in a certain way because of what I have done for you. Eternal life is a gift that can never be repaid. The blessings that we've experienced in our life are blessings that can never be repaid. So what we are to do as Christians is to walk worthy of this position of honor that he has placed us in. That we can be part of the body of Christ is an honor that we cannot even imagine. We are part of Christ's body. We belong to him. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he did for us. And when we think about what he has done, why do you think Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord? He's not saying I'm a prisoner of the Lord because he's actually sitting in a prison writing this, although he is sitting in a prison writing this. But that's not why he said it. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. When Jesus Christ saved me, he says, I gave my life to him, and whatever he wants of me, I'm willing to do. I am his prisoner. He tells me to go, and I go. He tells me to stay, and I stay. I am simply trying to walk worthy of what he wants for my life. Because of him, we should walk worthy. May I say, not only because of our God should we walk worthy, but we should walk worthy because of others. Others. Why do you say others? Because others are watching to see if it's real. Why does he say walk worthy? Why does he say walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? Why does he tell us so many times to be holy? Why does he tell us to be sanctified? Why does he tell us to be separate from the world? Why does he tell us all these different things and how he expects us to walk for him? How he expects us to live for him? Why does he tell us those things? Because he knows people are watching. Others are watching your life. You may not like it. You may not want it. You say, well, I didn't ask for anybody to look at my life. So? As a Christian, the world is watching to see, are you real? Are you real? Or are you a fake? I'm not saying that your salvation isn't real. Maybe you're saved. You know Christ is your Savior. But 
Are you walking worthy of the Lord? Are you walking in a way that is real so that when others look at your life, they say, hey, there's no doubt. Hey, that man is not perfect. That woman is not perfect. Yes, they make mistakes, but they are real. They are genuine. They love God. They love the Lord, and they are following God. What do others say about your life? Your spouse watches your life to see if it's real. Oh, you thought I was talking about the world watching your life. No, no, no. I'm talking about your own family. Husbands, your wives are checking to see, is your walk with God real? Husbands, or wives, your husbands are walking to see, is your walk with God real? Just because you're a Christian, just because you're married to someone who claims to be a Christian, doesn't mean you're walking worthy. Just because you bring your family to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're walking worthy. They're watching you seven days a week. They're watching to see if you're real. Your children are watching to see if you're real. Mom and dad go to church, and they say they love Jesus, but I never see mom or dad read the Bible. Mom and dad say they love, they love God, but you know, we never hear dad talk to God. We never hear him pray. Oh, maybe we pray before our meals, thank you for the food, whatever, but we never really hear Dad talk about God. Is it really real? He talks about his friends. Mom talks about her friends. They talk about all, but we never hear them talk about God. We never hear them talk about the good things of God. We never hear them talk about the blessings of God. What are they? They're watching your life to see, is it real? Your coworkers, they're watching your life. Look, they know if you claim to be a Christian or not. They know, hey, your neighbors, they probably saw you this morning pull out of your driveway. Like, there there go those Christians. They're going to church. Those people, man, they could be out at the lake. They could be going golfing. They could be going fishing. They could be doing all kinds of things. But no, they're going to church. Those people, those, those are fanatics, man. They're doing it every Sunday. Well, that's great that they see you doing it every Sunday, but what do they see on Monday? What do they see on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Do they see that it's real? Your coworkers? Do they know that it's real? Do they hear you at work? Do they hear you talk about the Lord? Do they hear you lift up the name of Jesus? They're just wondering, is it real? Or is it just a show? Look what Paul says in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2. Just over a couple pages. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12. He says, wherefore, my beloved, so he's writing to believers, 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. What does he say? Look, he, he says in verse number 12, and this is a, a, a verse that sometimes people misunderstand. He says, work out your own salvation. And so people think, well, that means you have to work for your salvation. That's not what he said. He didn't say work for your salvation. He says, work it out. Work it out. Work out your salvation, right? In other words, strengthen it. Build it, right? Get, get into the word of God. Grow in your salvation. Become stronger as a Christian, why? For it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure because God has a purpose. You need to grow spiritually because God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? Why does he tell us this? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He says, I want you to walk worthy. Why? Because others need to see a Christian who is real. The world needs to see Christians who are genuine. Look, they see all kinds of fake. They see all kinds of hypocrisy. And look, if you're here this morning, I'm not saying our church is perfect. I'm not saying we don't have hypocrites in our church. Look, the biggest hypocrite is probably right here in front of you. I don't, I don't, I am not a hundred percent. I don't always do what I do. I'm, I'm admitting that. I wish I could say that 100% since I've gotten saved, I have always followed God and done exactly everything God has said. I can't say that. can't say that. And by the way, neither can you. None of us can say that. Does that mean we don't try to walk worthy? No, we try. We try to walk worthy. We try to do what he wants us to do. And, and yes, we're going to fall, but what do we do? We get back up and we try again. And yes, we may fall, but what do we do? We get back up and we keep trying. That's why he says we need to grow strong in your faith. Why? Because God desires for us to be in this wicked and perverse nation. We are to be in it, but why? What does he say we're doing in this? He says, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. He says, my desire is that in this wicked, dark world, that there would be light. And that light is not going to come from the world. That light does not come from religion. That light comes from those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That light comes from those who are walking worthy so that the light of Jesus Christ is able to shine through them to a lost and dying world. And this is what he says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. The reason why we are to shine brightly is so that others can see Jesus Christ living through us. Can They can see, hey, that person's not perfect. That pastor's not perfect. That church isn't perfect, but man, they have a heart for God. They're not perfect, but man, they want to walk in a way that honors God. They're not perfect, but they love God, and they're trying to do the very best that they can, and there's something different about their lives. Walk worthy. Walk worthy, he says. They are watching to see if it is real. They're, walk, they're, they're watching to see, are we truly a person that says that we love God and it's just a show, or that we really love God and we mean it in how we live our life? 
Again, this is why Paul begins with the heart in chapters 1 through 3. Because if our heart is not right, guess what? We're not going to walk worthy. I'm afraid in so many Christians' lives, we have no desire to even walk worthy for God. We're just going to do whatever we want. You know why? Because we didn't get the heart issue settled in chapters 1 through 3. We're not seeing the way God wants us to see. It's not about Him. It's about me. There's a heart issue. You see, before I can ever walk worthy for God, the heart issue's got to be settled that it's all about Him. It's got to be about Him. That's why he said at the end of chapter 3, unto Him be glory, both now and forever. Unto Him, not me. We are to walk worthy. Are we walking worthy? But notice, he tells us how we're to walk. There is an attitude of those walking worthy. Notice, back in chapter 4 of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, notice he he lists some things. He says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, and he says how we are to walk. There's an attitude about this walk, right? There's an attitude. You can tell, right? How many of you ever, you ever been to a store, and probably not the ladies, but, you know, guys, we go to a store with our wives, and our wives like to shop, and guys have this radar of where the closest chair is, right? I mean, we'll take our wives, honey, I love you, let's go shopping, and then we just kind of let them do the shopping, and we find the closest chair, right? And what do we do? You know, when we sit there, of course, maybe now it's, it's all about the phones and stuff like this, but I can remember I would sit in, in stores and things, and I like to watch people. I just like to sit and watch how people, you know, I, couples, how they're conversing with each other, you know, kids and parents, but it's really interesting to watch people walk. I know, I'm kind of weird, all right. <laughs> but you can, you can watch people walk. I mean, some people, they're just, maybe they just have, I mean, they're just, they're just down. I mean, they're just discouraged. I don't know what happened. They didn't get the right cereal that morning or, or what, but they just, but then, and it's usually, no offense, but this is usually kind of around with, with teenagers and the young adults. You know, you get those that... <laughs> I mean, they, they just think they're the big stuff, you know? I mean, they're, they're checking, out, checking out the clothes, you know? I mean, they just, you, can, you can watch people and you can look how they walk and, and it tells you something about them. How they walk what God says. How we walk tells something about us. Watch what he says. How are we to walk? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we could take each one of these each one of these things, and you could probably have a whole message just on each one, but for the sake of time, we're just going to kind of briefly go through them, because, but he's talking about our walk, and he says we are to walk with the right attitude, and notice he says lowliness, lowliness, with all lowliness. What is lowliness? 
Lowliness is not being lifted up in pride. It's not being lifted up in pride. In fact, even Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, if there's anybody that could be, and I don't know if this is even the right term, but to be able to be prideful, it would be Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the creator of the universe. And yet, he says, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart. There is a a humility there. He is not being lifted up in pride. Someone said humility is the grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. If you think you're humble, (laughs) you're probably not. I know, you're the one that wrote the book on humility, right? No, it is putting God first. It is putting others ahead of you and yourself last. It's lowliness. God doesn't want us thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He doesn't want us being lifted up in pride. Yes, thank goodness we are saved. Thank goodness we know the Lord is our Savior. And we can say unashamedly, I I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. But we're not doing it in such a prideful way that we're looking down at other people and saying, well, if you're a sinner, man, get away from me. That's what the Pharisees did. They were full of pride. You say, oh, pastor, I don't have that problem. I don't think much of myself at all. Well, see, that's the other part of lowliness. It's not thinking more of what you are, but it's not thinking less of who you are as well. Well, I just, nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, nobody, nobody wants me around. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're trying to bring yourself to a, almost like a base level where nobody even cares about me. Wait a minute, friend, did you not hear what I said earlier? Jesus Christ died for you. Did we deserve it? No, we did not. But yet he was willing to come to this earth and bleed and die on a rugged cross so that we could be saved from our sin. Can I tell you something? Yes, we can. We admit that we are nothing before God but wicked, lost sinners. But can I tell you something? That God cared enough about you and thought enough about you that he was willing to come and die for you. You are not nothing in his eyes. You see, lowliness is not being lifted up in pride, but it's also not trying to go the opposite. We're like, well, I'm just a nobody. No, no, it's not, it's not that at all. It's recognizing I am exactly the way God has made me to be. This is exactly who God wants me to be. And as long as I'm being obedient to God and following him, that's exactly what he wants me to be. Lowliness, not being lifted up in pride. Meekness. Meekness is being mild, being gentle. It's having power under control. Imagine, think about this. Jesus was able to drive the money changers out of the temple. He had the power to calm the storms, yet he was willing to allow children to come and sit in his lap. The compassion that he showed, that meekness. It's interesting, again, the same verse. What does Jesus say? I am meek and lowly in heart. Can I tell you something? You cannot have, these two are, they're inseparable. Meekness and lowliness. Because 
lowliness is recognizing that I don't ha- I'm not going to be lifted up in pride, but I'm not going to be having a pity party for myself. I'm exactly what God wants to be. But meekness is also understanding, hey, there is power. We are, we are the children of God. We are God's child. We are part of the, the family of, of God and, and part of the body of Christ. But I'm not going to walk around with my head above everybody else in the clouds. There's an attitude of gentleness and meekness that he says. This is how we are to walk in lowliness and meekness, long-suffering. Long-suffering, it literally means being long-tempered. Literally means being long-tempered. In other words, not having a short fuse. (laughs) You know why we have a short fuse? Do you know why we can get upset at the drop of a hat? You know why we're willing to even drop the hat to get upset? It's because of our flesh. It's because of pride. We are thinking better of ourselves than we ought to. But what does he say? This long-suffering. We're to be long-suffering, not getting offended easily. Not getting offended easily. Somebody just looks at us the wrong way and we're offended. Somebody doesn't say hello to us and we're offended. Somebody says hello to us and we're offended. We get offended so easily. That's not long-suffering. We get so easily offended about things. Unfortunately, look, there's, there's a lot of great things about technology and things, but I think social media has caused us to even, get, we've gotten even worse about this idea of long-suffering. And I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about Christians. I, I, I see so much, I, I see Christians, again, we're supposed to be walking worthy, we're supposed to be shining a light, we're supposed to be being the example and, and, I'll, I'll, I'll get, and I'm not on there a lot, and thank God for that. But I get on there, I see Christians fighting. Fighting with each other. Fighting with the world. How dare you say that, this about me? And, and just easily getting offended. Wait a minute, where is the long-suffering? Where are we saying, hey, I have to walk worthy before a lost and dying world. I need to help them to see that I truly am a Christian and that I love the Lord. And if he was willing to forgive me of my sin and be long-suffering for what I have done, I should be willing to be meek and lowly and long-suffering to others as well. Why aren't we long-suffering? Because it's about me. See, that goes back to the heart attitude again. It's not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about him. So easily offended. I always want to strike back. Somebody says something about you, we just want to strike back. Just want to get even. It's because of pride. You remember what the Bible said about Jesus as he was hanging on the cross? He was despised, rejected, reviled. It means they said all kinds of horrible things about him. And yet it says, yet he reviled not again. He was long-suffering. And every one of us ought to be thankful that he's long-suffering to us. 
He says, this is what I want. I want you to walk worthy. I want you to walk in lowliness. I want you to walk in meekness. I want you to walk in long-suffering. I want you to walk forbearing one another in love. Forbearing, that's enduring. It's being patient with people. And, and I, again, every, every word that God puts in here is for a reason. He doesn't just say forbearing one another. Well, I'll be patient with them. Yeah. No, 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 that's not what he said. He said forbearing one another in love. Could we say that most of our enduring or our, our patience is probably not in love? probably not done in love and yet this is what he says we're forbearing one another in love that enduring being patient with people showing them the love of Christ why because we're wanting that light to shine so that they can see Christ and then watch what he says here he says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit Well, we know there's only one Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. So what does he mean then when he says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit? I mean, I don't think the Holy Spirit can ever not be in unity with himself. I don't think the Holy Spirit can ever not be in unity with the Father and with the Son. So what does he mean when he says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit? I think Jesus kind of explains this to us. In fact, this is something that Jesus even prayed for in the Lord's Prayer. Not the Lord's Prayer of Matthew chapter 6, but in Jesus' actual prayer. In John chapter 17, turn over there with me. In John chapter 17, where we actually have the Lord's Prayer, this is his actual prayer. In John chapter 17... Notice in verse number 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So he says we're not being taken out of the world. We need to be in the world so that we can be a light. He says, I'm just praying that they would be kept from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So Jesus said, I'm sending them into the world. I I want them to be the light of the world. But then jump down to verse number 21. That they all may be, what's that next word? One. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be, what's that next word? Come on, what is it? One in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. What is this unity of the Spirit that he talks about? Look, we understand that the very moment that a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible says we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was working in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same Holy Spirit that's working today in my life and in your life. That same Holy Spirit we have today. And God says, Jesus says, I'm praying, Father, just as you and I are one, I'm praying that they may be one. 
Those who are believing in me, those who have received me, I'm praying that they would be one. What is that? That's unity. He's not saying that we're all just one. No, I mean, we're all individuals, but there is going to be unity among us. There ought to be unity among those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. There ought to be such a unity there. Why? Remember what we saw in Philippians? Look what Jesus says here. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You know what he says is probably one of the greatest testimonies to the world that we are walking worthy is when the believers are in unity. When the believers are in unity. Yet how many times do we hear people in church fighting, church splits, churches doing this, that. There's no unity There's no unity of the Spirit. That's why he says back in Ephesians, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity. You know what the word endeavoring means? It means you got to work at it. You got to work at it. How many of you, now I know what you're going to say, because I would say the same thing, but let's be honest, those of you that are married, how many of you, when you got married, I mean, your marriage has been perfect from day one. There's never been a fight, never been a quarrel, never been a crossword, never been a... I mean, it's just been absolutely perfect from day one. Now, I know we all want to raise our hands, but we're going to be honest because we're Christians and we're not going to lie this morning. No, of course not. There's not a perfect marriage. Guess what you have to do to make it work? You have to work at it. You have to work at it. A couple just here this past week celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. That's amazing. Praise God. I know you guys didn't have to work at it at all. You you two are so sweet. I mean, they're just like the awesomest couple. But I know that they had to work at it too. Had to work at it. That's what he says. You've got to work at it. You know why? Because the devil would like nothing more than to destroy the body of Christ. The devil would like nothing more than to get into the body of Christ. Hey, it doesn't have to be the world that destroys the body of Christ. Let the body of Christ destroy the body of Christ. Let, let anger, let divisiveness, let, let jealousy, let all those things get into the body of Christ. You know what that does? It destroys it. And that's why he says, endeavoring to keep the unity We've got to work at it because our flesh wants to get involved. Like, how dare they say that to me? How dare they look at me like that? Why didn't they do that to me? And we want to let them know how we feel. No, 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 no. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity. Hey, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, enduring we're working. We, man, it's a battle. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough to, to, to be in unity with the body of believers. You know why? Because everybody's different. Everybody has their own opinions. Everybody has the way that they think it should be done. And when it doesn't go our way, guess what? We get upset. I remember what one pastor said. He was asked, he said, what, he, this guy had been in a, he had been in business before becoming a pastor, and he said, 
they asked them, they said, what's the biggest difference that you see being in a position of leadership in a business and being a pastor of a church? He thought about it for a moment. This is what he said. You can't fire the sheep. <laughs> can't fire the sheep. If in a business, if somebody doesn't do what you want, you can just, you're gone, right? Not in a church. Why? Because we're working to keep the unity. We're working to keep the unity. And thank God for the unity that God has given this church. But can I tell you something? It's not because it's just come easily. No, no, no. It's because there's people working to keep the unity. We're willing to not have to be first. Willing to put others first. And I tell you, not, Satan would like nothing more than to get in to First Baptist Church and start bringing divisiveness, start bringing anger, start bringing jealousy. Let's split that church. Are we going to let that happen? Or are we going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit? And this is what he says. Now watch this. In the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. What is it that's holding us together? It's peace. Do we all have different opinions? Sure. We all have different opinions. We all have different ideas. We all have different ways things might be done. But you know what, you know what holds us together? You know what unites us? There's one thing that unites us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He unites us. We have peace with God through him. And because of that peace that we have, boy, we ought to desire to, to stay together. We ought to desire to, to worship together. We ought to desire to, to do everything that we can to keep that, that unity of the Spirit so that we as a church, not the building, but as a church, as the believers, can be the light that He wants us to be. Why? Because we want to walk worthy. We want to walk worthy. How do we walk? Lowliness, and meekness, and forbearance, and endeavoring to keep the unity. There's work that's there, and we do it in the bond of peace. Can I ask you this morning, do you want to walk worthy? I didn't ask you if you are walking worthy. That's not what I asked. My question is, do you want to walk worthy? As a Christian, we ought to desire that. As a Christian, when we think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, it ought to be our desire to walk worthy. But just as Jesus Christ did not force us to be saved, he's not going to force you to walk right. It has to be your decision. But when we walk worthy, what a testimony to Jesus Christ. When we walk worthy in a way that pleases him, the world is able to see something different. And it's attractive to them. And they want to know what is different. Are we walking worthy? I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed. No one looking about this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you want to walk worthy? Friend, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The most important thing is to know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And maybe you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died where I would go. I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ personally. But I would like to know how I could have that. I would like to know how I could be saved and have my sins forgiven. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'd like to know about that. Friend, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you or call you out or anything. But I would like to pray for you this morning. And if that's you today, you say, Pastor, I'd like to know how to be saved. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Nobody else is looking about. Just slip it up, put it right back down. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure that I have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Just slip it up and put it right back down. Pastor, pray for me. Then, Christian, if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. Do you want to walk worthy? When you think about what Jesus Christ has done, I'm not asking if you are or have in the past. That's not what I'm asking this morning. What I'm asking is, do you want to walk worthy? You can. He wants you to. But the choice is yours. You choose whether you will walk worthy of Christ. You choose whether you will walk in a way that is an example to Him so that it helps others to see the light of Jesus Christ. Do you want to walk worthy? If you do, then my question is, will you? Will you walk worthy? Are you going to be perfect? No, of course not. But we can walk worthy. If not, if you say, Pastor, I don't want to walk worthy, my friend, then may ask, why not? When you think about what Jesus has done for you, why wouldn't you want to walk in a way that honors and pleases him? Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. Lord, help us as Christians to desire to want to walk worthy of you, and what you've called us to be and to do. Lord, help us to be, as you've said, that, that witness, that light in this world that is dark, that others might see Jesus Christ through us. Lord, help us to walk worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're just going to stand.